Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to another episode of So Married Horrifying. This is our final episode for the month of November. It is indeed. And it is a glorious Sunday evening where we are. It's definitely not dark and cold and absolutely shitting it down with rain. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what happens when WWE allows CM Punk to return. The weather just goes nah 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 dog. Nah nah nah. Um, anyway, I'm Simon. I'm Lane. And uh, yeah, welcome to episode 154 of So A Married Horror Fan. Did you know we are one month away from having done this for three years? I did not. First episode, December 2020. Here we are, coming up to December 2023. Jesus. It's crazy. It is. I mean, I say this is episode 154. We've done a lot more we episodes really have. than that. And we've like evolved our content over the last three years. It's crazy to think that it's been three years, though. But do you remember way back at the beginning of the 2020 when they were like, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. Like, mm-hmm. everybody go home, buy toilet paper, play Animal Crossing, make banana bread. And then, like, they were talking about how it could last for, like, years and years. And now we're three years, nearly four years post that point. Mm -hmm. It's mad to think that that's what the passage of time has been like, given how long things felt while we were in it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what's coming in December while Lee gets all of her stuff ready. Uh, So, for those of you that haven't been following us on social media... December is going to be video game horror adaptation month, or horror video game adaptation month, should I say. So we are kicking off on the 4th of December with a look at the 2021 version of Mortal Kombat. Again, I know Mortal Kombat isn't strictly a horror franchise, but we definitely were not touching any of the movies by Uwe Boll. So Mortal Kombat is... Uh, on the 8th of December, we've pushed it back a week. It was originally going to be the 1st of December. We are going to be doing our top 10 best of 2023 lists. So that'll be our 5 by 5 air quotes episode for December. The 11th of December, we will be looking at Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. On the 15th of December, our Cross and Stream episode will be on the 2008 TV series Dead Set. Uh, on the 18th of December, we will be looking at Doom. And then on the 25th of December, so on Christmas Day, we will be releasing our episode on Silent Hill. And that will be our our last six episodes for 2023. And then I'm not telling you what's coming in January. You'll have to wait for that. Um, But January, I'm just looking at it now. It looks like it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this and this. Uh, You guys can't see what I'm pointing at, so I realise it's entirely pointless. But today, we are rounding out November, which, as you guys know if you've been listening to these episodes, is our Horror Adaptations Month. Uh, We started the month with Daniel Radcliffe, and we are going to end the month with Daniel Radcliffe. As we are looking at the 2012 adaptation film adaptation of The Woman in Black, based mm-hmm. on the 1983 novel by Susan on a Hill. We are indeed. Before we do that, because you reminded me, Blumhouse. Oh, are you actually going to do it? Yeah, so I don't know what episode it was. Was it Pride and Prejudice? No, it was during the Books of Blood episode. So I'm a week late, but I did do it. And I realised after we'd recorded The John Dies at the end episode that I didn't actually let so, anyone know. Fill the people in at home. So basically because people might not have heard those episodes, so this might be new to We them. did Books of Blood and I made a comment. I can't what we were talking about, but I made a comment about Blumhouse being terrible. It's because the trailer for her imaginary had dropped. Ah uh, yes. And I said I probably won't watch it because let's be honest, seventy percent of all Blumhouse movies are shit. And you argued that I was incorrect. And I got on my high horse and I was like, no, I'm going to prove that I'm right. So what I did was I went to Rotten Tomatoes. I looked at the audience rating for every film that had a rating on there. That was a Blumhouse production, including like their really early stuff when they were like doing rom-coms and shit. Like back before they were a horror only 
film house. And basically, if it was above 60%, no, it was above 50%, then it's classed as it, fresh. It was basically whatever the barometer was for getting yeah, it. So whether it had a place. standing up popcorn bucket or a blow, blown over popcorn bucket, I can't remember what the things are, but I think it's like 50% either side. So it's, it's a green tomato or a red tomato for critics ones. But I it's went on... up, up standing popcorn bucket below yeah. popcorn bucket and i went audiences. for the audience ones because i think that critic ratings are bullshit personally see also the way the critics mask could wish and wish is delightful look what they did to my boy look what they did to my boy so we figured it out i went through everything for there's like a fucking 145 movies or something like that so this is going to be a speed run just give me a speed run i'm just gonna give you the final percentages so i've gone with rotten and fresh because i can't remember what they're actually called for standing up bucket falling over bucket audience rating it was 68 percent rotten to 32 percent fresh so i was two percent off being actually correct and for a number i pulled out of thin air i'm quite mm. pleased with that but I stand by my uh, previous motion that Blumhouse tend to make shitty films. I think, I think the problem with Blum, Blumhouse is, and I don't want to, I don't want to dedicate too much time to this, but I think the problem with Blumhouse is the, and I think I may have said this when we initially talked about it. I think it's the quality control went. <laughs> so they started, they started off being like a mum and pop, fucking, uh, like burger joint where they're like mm. all the burgers are made fresh you know they all have all the in-house magic sauce everything's great you know you know all the waitresses you know all the waiters <laughs> there and then like three years in the guy from mcdonald's went we'd really love to buy your restaurant and then they went sure and then the quality control went down because the thing is like when they when they hit high when they hit their highs blumhouse are really fucking good and they've launched a lot of really impressive franchises that have been really successful in the last decade for horror it's just the problem is, is they go, oh, we made one Purge movie that was successful. Let's make 20 more. So let's make five more. Yeah. And it's like, you know, with like, like with the Paranormal Activity thing, there's fucking seven of those movies. There's seven Paranormal Activity movies. There's five Purge movies. Purge movies. There's like five Insidious movies. Mm. They made three Halloween movies. They're making three Exorcist movies. They've already said they're probably going to make another two Five Nights at Freddy's movies. They made two Happy Death Day movies. I don't know why that one's not got a third movie, but here we are. And I think that was kind of the problem yeah. was they 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 don't they don't remain consistent in a level of like they'll they'll have a year where they just knock out like a bunch of like cookie cutter PG thirteen run of the mill trash like Fantasy Island or fucking. I I thought it was all right, but M three gun like, and then they'll just go oh yeah like hit or like true for fucking dare which is like a fucking bullshit film, but then occasionally they'll go oh well here's a get out yeah or here's like yeah, yeah, yeah. some uh, a sinister yeah something that's really fucking interesting yeah and then you're just like well why aren't you like doing that constantly yeah no, if you if you if you if you're Kobe and you can hit fucking three pointers from the halfway line. Like, why aren't you doing that all the fucking time? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, yeah. So, technically, I was correct. And just for a further breakdown on this, that was 47 movies that are classified as fresh, or whatever the audience rating mm. thing is for it, and 98 would be classed as rotten. I mean... Yeah. And, and that kind of that kind of speaks to, like... It's kind of like... It's a weird, it's a weird analogy, and I'm sorry if I'm losing it. It's kind of like the Roadrunner Record Syndrome. Mm. Is like they had like three or four massive hits, and then they used all of that money to like fund other shit. Yeah. So like with Roadrunner Records, they went, "Oh man, we signed Slipknot and we signed Nickelback, and then that means that we can sign fucking I don't know some shit fucking bands that should never yeah. have been on like Roadrunner Records." But so basically, what what has been said from this is that for every one good movie Blumhouse make, they make two shitty films. Yeah. So I yeah. feel like I can stand by my earlier sentiment if I yeah. don't really like Blumhouse as a studio because I don't think they're very good and they have poor movie <laughs> Do A24 output. next. <laughs> uh, Jesus, no, because I, I don't like eight A24 movies, but I do know that I am very much in the minority of people. Um, I think it all depends because 
I think A24 as a studio makes much more diverse bodies of work. But the problem what... is as well, if I did A24, it's not like Blumhouse where I could just go to Jason Blum's page. Yeah, 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 yeah. And go through that and then just try and find any that I've missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to like literally go through film by film and it takes a while because that's how I started doing this until mm. I realised I could just go to Jason Blum's page and look at what the audience scoring mm. was for each of them. Way easier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I won't be doing that for A24. Because... The Iron Claw, the new uh, wrestling movie about the Von Erich family, is an A24 movie. And that looks... And you are right, though. A24 do a lot... There's a lot more wider-ranging films. Like, they don't just do horror movies or just do thrillers. They kind of do a bit of everything. Yeah, because it's it's mad to think that the same studio distributed, like, Uncut Gems, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and then, like, all of Ari Aster's movies. And Mm -hmm. it's like, what the fuck is... What the fuck is this? But, yeah, for anyone who was hanging on the edge of their seat, I doubt there was many. Um... But somebody might have. There's your answer. I was correct. 70% of Big Mouse movies are shit. Mm. I'm pleased I was right. Yeah. You know I like being right. Yeah. Um, But we're not there to talk about Blumhouse. Or Roadrunner Records. Or Roadrunner Records. We're here to talk about a Hammer film. <laughs> because apparently this is a Hammer movie, which I didn't know until we watched it this Stop. time. Hammer time. Uh, but yeah, as you said, so Orman in Black released in 2012 based on a Susan Hill novel of the same name. Uh, written by... So the book's 40 years old this year, which I didn't know. Yes. I said to you, I thought Susan Hill was like fucking Shirley Jackson, Mary Shelley aged. I thought she was like knocking books out in the 1800s. Apparently she like knocked a bunch of books out in like between 1960 or 1974. <coughs> dropped this in 1983 and then she's still alive she's like just living out in Scarborough like as an 81 year old woman apparently though after she wrote like sorry just give you guys a little bit of context after she after she wrote this she pivoted to kind of like an Agatha Christie sort of situation where she created a detective character and then just started like doing fucking Linda LaPlante Agatha Christie shit where she's like I don't know um, yeah, I, I briefly I looked her up very briefly. Well, I've read like two of her works. I've read The Small Hand, and I've read something else by her as well. Because um, I think the character's name is like Simon Sommelier or Sommelier or something like that. He's like a detective. He has like a weird name, like a surname. Oh. But he's like a fucking like Poirot Agatha. It's like Poirot Miss Marple type shit. Or like, what's that? Who's that fucking geezer that releases like eight books a year? Like who does the Alex Cross books? Like, there's, like, a fucking three Alex Cross books that come out a year. Same, Simon Sorelia. Yeah, by that one dude who, like, definitely has a ghostwriter. Oh, um, I can't remember what his name is. You know the guy I mean, though? Like, I every know, year yeah. you, you go he into like fucking... like, 30 of his books released yeah. in a month. You're like... You go into fucking WH Smith. Isn't he the one who wrote a book with, like, fucking Dolly Parton? Yes, and... yes. Oh, my God, who is um, that? But I, I'm like, he definitely has a fucking ghostwriter, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I do you know what I think I said this before, but I was shocked to find out that R.L. Stein has a bunch of his stuff ghostwritten. Did you know this? Uh, I feel like yeah, Le- Lee Child. That sounds. Is no, Lee, Lee Child's Child? the Jack Reacher dude, or uh, is James Patterson? Is it James, James Patterson? Patterson. You, uh, you are right though. Um, Lee, Lee Child, Child is the Jack, is Reacher, Jack Reacher dude. And, um, yeah, James Patterson is the guy who created him. Alex Cross, um, and basically is been writing Alex Cross novels ever since. Um, yeah, it's a weird fucking flex, but... There we go. Uh, but so this was written by Jane Goldman, based on the works of Susan Hill, and directed by James Watkins. Who directed one of the most savage British horror movies ever made four years before this, uh, Eden Lake. <laughs> a movie I've never seen, but I'm reliably in for. It's a hoodie horror so, you know, like, back in the early noughties, they were, like, British horror movies, like, oh, yeah, gangs of youths in hoods murdering people and filming it on their phones. It's one of those type of movies. Fair enough. Uh, cast-wise in this, we have Daniel Radcliffe as Arthur Kip- Kipps. Yeah, Kipps. There's an S at the end, isn't there? Uh, Misha Hanley as Joseph Kipps. Jessica Raid as The Nanny. Roger Allen as Mr. Bentley. Kieran Hines as Sam Daly. Mary Stockley as Mrs. Fisher. Sean Dooley as Fisher. I'm trying to go through this and figure out what the characters were called that I cared about because this is in order of appearance. Uh, Kathy Sarah as Mrs. Jerome. Tim McMullen as Mr. Jerome. 
I can't think what his wife is called. Is it Mrs. Drablow? No, that's the woman in black, isn't it? Janet. Oh, Janet is played by Liz White. Why do they do it in order of appearance? Yeah, Jeanette or Janet or whatever her name is, is the woman in black. Spoilers. Where's Mrs. Drablow then? Mm-hmm. Fuck knows. I'm trying to find out She might out be that birdie what... look like fucking Dakota Johnson. I'm trying to figure out what Mr. Bentley's wife was called. What, Kieran Hines' wife? Was yeah. it like Susie or something? Kieran Hines' wife, not Mr. Dr- different character. Uh, Janet McTeary plays Mrs. Daly. And I think that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. It really annoys me when they do it in order of appearance because I'm like, this is not how. That's why I use the Wikipedia one. Well, I didn't think of doing that. All right. Um, so budget for this film it was made on an estimated budget a budget of an estimate an estimated budget of 17 million dollars it was made on a budget of an estimated budget of a budget that was estimated to be an estimated amount of an estimated much sharp uh, gross worldwide it made 128 million nine hundred and fifty five thousand eight hundred ninety eight dollars okay and plot line wise for this movie a young solicitor travels to a remote village where he discovers that the vengeful ghost of a scorned woman is terrorising the locals. Yeah? Yeah. I wouldn't really call it terrorising, but... No. So there, there are a few things that I want to address before we actually get into the like meat and bones of this movie. Um, first off, this movie came out in 2012 mm-hmm. and apparently was the most financially successful British horror British movie, horror movie for 20 years? in like 20 years yeah. which I find absolutely fucking bonkers I mean to be fair we were pretty quiet on the horror front for quite a long yeah. time so like in the 90s so from so if you're saying from 92 to 2012 I kind of get that because like in the 90s there wasn't really a lot of British horror like <sighs> 92 93 94 there wasn't really much in the way of horror and then, like, 96, Scream happens, and then the slasher boom, like, re-happens. Mm-hmm. But, like, British horror was kind of quiet. In the in the 2000s, though, like, I was really shocked, because I kind of... I remember a lot of the films coming out, but I was like... So that's saying that this was more financially successful than 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. Dog Soldiers, yep. The Descent, yep. uh, the one that's got Alex Pettifer in it, Slaughtered or Tormented or whatever Tormented. the fuck it's called. Severance. Creep, mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. like Eden Lake, which mm-hmm. is the guy, the other movie that this guy directed, Attack the Block. I guess if you see, class that as a horror <laughs> movie, like and this I see is... your argument and I understand your argument because you are correct. There are some really big horror films. I mean, Shaun of the Dead is ridiculous. This movie yeah. is way more than Shaun of the Dead. The re- let's be all honest. The reason this was the most financially successful horror movie in twenty years, and it made as much is because money Daniel as Radcliffe it did, was in it. It was it was Harry. It was his first film post Harry Potter. Didn't a Harry Potter movie come out the same year that this was released? Deathly Hallows Part Two, maybe? or was that released the year before? Because I was trying to I was trying to figure out like um, if he had two absolute like barnstormers in the same. Part Two year. came out in twenty eleven. Yeah, so it's literally. So it goes, Harry Potter and Death Row's Part 2, this haunt is like his career trajectory yeah, for, for that two years. Yeah. Um, which is bonkers. Like, um, so that was the first thing. I was kind of really stunned. But I'd, li- I'd, I'd like to, to look at, like, I'm not going to obviously do it, but I'd be interested to know, like, when you break down those two sets of, like, things, when you look at the rest of the movies that came out, what their budget to box office ratio was. Because a lot of them got like released in a cinema for a week and then they came out and went on like DVD and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, whereas this had quite a big theatrical run. Uh, it was rolled out as like a mainstream movie, but it had like a lot of hype going into it. And this, this leads me on to my second point. It had a lot of hype going into it because you had Daniel Radcliffe in his first post Harry Potter role. Mm-hmm. You had obviously the return of Hammer Horror. So look, it, it, it had that banner on it. I think this was like the first Hammer Horror movie to be released in like 30 years or something fucking ludicrous like that. And then obviously... I remember this movie coming out because I remember everybody saying how fucking scary it was. Mm -hmm. There were 134 complaints to the BBFC about the 12A rating. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had to cut six seconds out of the film to get it from a 15 to a 12. And then they also like colour graded some of the scenes to make them darker and then obviously fiddled around with some of the sound design as well to make it less terrifying. But yeah, they had 134 complaints 
from people that it was too scary for like the rain. I assume a lot of those complaints came from people that took their kids to see it who were Harry Potter fans because they were yeah. So it was the same age rating as the last four Harry Potter movies. Is I do find that really interesting because like. For anyone who isn't aware at this point, I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. I grew up watching the Harry Potter movies. Those last... The last two in particular, but, like, the last... From four onwards, so the last four Harry Potter movies are all quite dark. Yeah. Like, they are quite... And I would say there are scenes in those, like, especially in the last two movies, like, the... Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen or read Harry Potter at this point. Apologies. Uh, the scene with Bethilda Bagshot where she turns into Nagini, the entire final battle sequence, mm. uh, the escape from Gringotts, uh, the when they're captive in Malfoy Manor and fucking Hermione's getting tortured mm. by Bellatrix Lestrange, like, and I like I look at that and I look at this film and I'm like, really, you thought this was scarier than the last four Harry Potter films? It is mad to me though because I look at like I look at <coughs> so I look at the era in which I grew up. Um, and probably the era that we grew up in, and you look at like the way that films were rated then, like you look at things that were like 18s back in the like 80s and the 90s, and you're like, that would definitely be a 15 now. Like when we covered fucking Blade, uh-huh. I was like, there's no reason for Blades to be an 18, like a hundred percent. Like that's that's an easy 15 nowadays. And I've been, I was like thinking about this when we were watching the movie because I think, especially maybe in the last 10 to 15 years, the way that the age rating has changed. Like, basically, anything that would be would have been an 18 back in the 90s or in the early 2000s is probably a 15 now. Like, you look at a film like Deadpool, for example. Deadpool would have been an easy 18, mm-hmm. like, way back in the day, 100%. And, and it's a 15. So it has the same age rating as, like, a lot of um, other films that have, like, because of, like, the, the language and stuff, the way we rate things over here is mad. But, like, I look at a film like... I look at like the the last few Star Wars movies, but all the Marvel movies that are like twelves, and the one for me that I'm always constantly surprised got away with a twelve A, and I think it's more scary for kids than what this would be is the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. I'm still constantly to this day surprised that the Dark Knight, with Heath Ledger's Joker being the way that he is, got passed as a twelve A. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, <coughs> I kind of understand it to a degree with this film. Like I. I read so many reviews when this movie came out where people are like, it's terrifying, it scared the shit out of me, like, I have to sleep with the lights on, like, it's the scariest horror film in, like, you know, all that token bullshit yeah, they yeah, roll yeah, out, yeah. like, every time James Wan sneezes, they're like, it's the scariest thing ever. Mm. Um, And then you watch this movie and you're like, I don't really understand where the horror comes so, from so i have now watched a lot more horror films i remember seeing this so i saw this i'm pretty sure i saw this in the cinema in fact yeah in a rare occurrence of lee going to the cinema to see a horror film there's only been two before we started doing the podcast that i'd willingly gone as to i recall it was a horror film. It was a horror what film. was the other one uh the one with the fucking tooth fairies oh are you afraid of the dark oh, if, yeah don't be afraid of the dark or whatever the fuck it's called one with kate holmes in it that's the one me and nicole want to go see it Anywho, so I, this, I'm pretty confident I went to the cinema to go see this. And I remember this terrifying the shit out of me. But back then I hadn't seen a lot of horror movies and I hadn't seen the calibre of horror films that I have seen now. Like, you put this next to something like The Conjuring, it's far less scary. But a lot of the jump scares and a lot of the scares in this come from it not... It's all things you catch out of the corner of your eye more so than anything else. I'm glad you mentioned The Conjuring, because The Conjuring is a 15. So uh-huh. do you agree that this movie should be rated the same as The Conjuring? Because no. that's what people are asking for. People are asking for it to be rated no. a 15. I think a 12A is a perfectly fair rating, because yeah. there's no language. There's a scene of gore, I can tell you the six seconds they cut is from the scene where the little girl coughs up blood yeah. in the post office. Yeah, not the scene where she says she immolates, self-immolates. No. Because that, I don't think they ever changed that scene. Uh, they added on an extra bit at the end as well. The happy ending yeah, got yeah, added yeah, in yeah. afterwards. Because people thought it was a little bit too dour to end on on them all dying. Um, 
But that's the scene that they cut. It was the blood. There was more mm-hmm. blood originally, and they cut. Because I think I've seen the uncut version of this at one point or another. I've seen the uncut version of that scene. It's literally just a little bit more blood. Mm. Uh, but it's a generally bloodless film. There's no bad language. And because a lot of the horror in it is you catching glimpses of the woman in black, like, in the background, her face through windows... I don't think it deserves a higher rating than a 12A. I feel like a 12A is a really fair rating for this. I feel like they could push it further and still get away with a 12A as long as they keep it relatively goreless. Yeah, especially with the stuff that they get away with in 12A rated films now. Yeah. Um, but like, I think this is one of the things because I don't, I don't mind this film. I quite enjoy this film. I quite enjoyed re-watching it because a lot of it is... I like the subtle horror of this, of it is just glimpses up until you see her fully uh, i want to say the first time you really see her completely out of shadows is when um the little girl self-immolates and he sees her across the room and mm. um, up until then she's a really menacing figure because you never really get a clear look at her she's mm. always a shadow in a background or just like the outline of her face coming through a window yeah she's always lost in the shadow yeah um, but I think I think revealing her completely ruins it quite a bit. Mm. But I feel like that can be said for a lot of films from this time period. Is they had this issue with leaving the monster <clears throat> in the dark. They had to show you the whole thing, and I'm like, why? They were scary enough as they were. I didn't need you've made them less scary now. I'm gonna say something hilarious now. Mm-hmm. All four Ghostbusters movies, mm-hmm. the first two, now that they've been re-rated. One's a 12A, one's a PG. Originally, they were 15 and a 12, I think, back in the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, I think the first Ghostbusters movie is scarier than this. I think Afterlife is scarier than this. Okay. Fine. I'm just saying, like, for films that are marketed as, like, family films, I think... And that's the difference 10 years makes. Because mm-hmm. people will happily take fucking kids to go and see, like, Ghostbusters. But they wouldn't, But the like... thing is, is Ghostbusters... Ghostbusters isn't scary. Ghostbusters is a comedy with, like some horror elements mm. they're not scary they're not supposed to be scary and I don't agree with you that the Ghostbusters films are scarier than this mate that library ghost fucked my life up as a kid sure <laughs> but the problem is is you are seeing this film what 10 years removed yeah, yeah, yeah. at the age yeah. you are having seen some yeah. of the most grotesque horror films I mean, released I mean to be fair I think like as well like this movie came out before a trend of movies like it came out so Following in the wake from this, you have movies like Ouija, you have Ouija, you have Insidious. Insidious 2 basically has the same fucking demon design as the woman in black in this. You have The Conjuring, Annabelle, all that sort of stuff. I think The Conjuring is a really fucking scary film. Like I said that when we, we covered it. I think The Conjuring is... The Conjuring is, is honestly is, terrifying. It's a genuinely like that film. I hated it. scary film. And I think there are elements of Insidious that are scary. I think the problem with this movie is <sighs> I don't think it ever really knows how or when to deploy its central thing and like they never you never feel so the like I I know that everyone always bangs on about James Wan spamming jump scares uh-huh. because that's basically what the man does he like his music's all like bah! and then there's like fucking jump scares Whereas in this, like, I never felt like, and I don't know if it's just the way it's directed, like, I never felt any sense of, like, unease. There's no scenes in this where a character walks into a room and, like, there's any really real atmosphere. Like, the music never really changes because that's a big signifier in a horror movie that something's going to happen is, like, the score swells. Um, And to me, it never really felt like they knew how or when to like show the ghost or how much they were going to show like when she was going to be there or and and that's how you end up with these just random like shots of her and it's like thing is is i agree and disagree i think there are certain scenes in this that play out really well uh like the the scene with the i want to call it a music box but it's not the light yeah yeah, where it's spinning and he sees her through the light and then stands up and she's not there uh, and that happens in a few scenes, like she's in a doorway and he turns around and she's not there. Mm. Um, I think those play out really well. And I like that they don't use the general jump scare tactic. I'm not a fan of jump scares. I think jump scares are a really cheap way of <coughs> making a horror film, personally. I don't like them. I think they're cheap. 
Mm. And I think they're overused at this point. I think they have. I think like anything. I have it. They have their time and yeah, place. Yeah. But the That's problem exactly is, is you'll watch a film now and it's like jump scare. Do 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 jump scare. Do 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 jump 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 Mate, jump. I feel jump. like you're just calling James one out. Of this. Yeah, fuck you, James one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I come out to look shit. I'll stand by it as well. One, fuck you. Um, but I don't. I think I think they've become a really cheap way to make a horror yeah. film. Because there are jump scares in this. The the scene with the... Um, mm. What is a light box? Whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a good notice of that. Because it is literally like a flick of her and then she's gone. Mm. And it makes me still makes me jump now. And there's another scene as well that I literally did go, fuck. Mm. Like, I can't what scene it was. But I literally did jump out of my skin. And I was like, I don't like that. Why did you do that? Oh, it's when, it's when he comes out of the door. So he, he's followed the little boy. Mm. And he comes out and she's at the end of the hallway. And literally the camera spins and she's there yeah and that makes me jump it still makes me jump now i think made me jump the first time made me jump this time i think the thing is though like anybody can direct a horror movie like you know case in point there are a million of them Mm -hmm. and like everybody directs them to different degrees and i think anybody can make a horror movie i mean the guy who made this made an urban horror movie before this but i think there's a difference between being able to make a horror movie and but make but then also make a film that makes people feel uncomfortable and feel atmosphere and feel tension and feel scared and feel on edge and there are very few directors working today that can actually do that and i mean i know i know we've taken a lot of shots at james wan who i actually genuinely love but i think when he's on there are certain scenes like the scene in the conjuring you know is so tense and so scary and like when she's looking down the stairs and it comes up behind her and claps and then she's not there and then like mike flanagan's another one who like does tension and subtlety like you watch the fall of house of usher or you watch midnight mass or you watch there's like these little moments that he does in like ouija origin of evil or oculus or like the uh the doctor sleep and you know i think that's the thing that really lets this film down is i don't think that james watkins has any grasp on how to build tension or how to put the audience in that state where you're like locked in thing and you're just waiting for the mystery to unravel yeah thing is i do feel like part of this is woman in black has been made i think this is like it's the second film adaptation of yeah it. there's one that um, came out in 1989 and which has also... uh, the actor who plays adult james potter in it yeah. In the same role Daniel Radcliffe play, plays. And there's weird, also there was also a TV version there's of it. There's a TV version of it, and there's also the stage play. From everything I've get read and gathered, this film does not deviate much from the plot of the book and the stage show, apart from in the book, his wife is alive and well, and they're like a happy mm-hmm. family. Yeah. It's the only thing they altered is his wife is dead in this. So I think part of the reason that it probably <coughs> the way it is is because they've based it a lot on the book itself and also the stage show mm. because you don't really fuck with perfection. Yeah. The stage show's been running for fucking forever. It's the second longest I mean? running West End play behind the mousetrap. Behind the mousetrap. Oh, I mean, obviously it's the mousetrap. <laughs> fucking mousetrap. Um, so I do feel like that kind of... Ha- um, what's it? Ha- ha- a harboured? Nope. That is kind of... We're going to go with harboured. It's not the word I'm going to use. Harboured this movie a little bit. Hampered. Hampered, thank you. I was like, if I say the rest of the sentence, you might figure out what word I'm trying to say. Hampered. <laughs> Three words. First word. First word. Um, I've hampered this movie a little bit because <coughs> I haven't seen the stage show. From everything I've been told, the stage show is fucking terrifying. Mm. But trying to recreate that in the form of a film is it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you don't have that chance to fuck with the audience. Mm-hmm. Bar having someone dressed as the woman in black in, in, in every single theatre when you see it, and then sending someone home with you when you buy the DVD, mm. for, on the off chance you'll watch it to come and creep around, you kind of can't build that atmosphere like they do in the theatre. Like, the thing is, I think the problem is, is they didn't deviate that much. Mm. So where a lot of theatre atmosphere in the theatre for this is built because you know she's there. Yeah. And they put her in the audience. She walks through the audience. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah. You don't need to do, do a lot with that. Just be like, oh, yeah, by the way, the woman in black is in the theatre. Yeah. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? You just, you I'd just... be shitting myself. I'd be like, fucking head up. Like, knees up. Like, don't fucking come near me, you motherfucker. 
Um, but you can't build that kind of tension. I think that's what kind of let this film down, is as far as I know, they didn't deviate that much from mm. the stage show version of it. They wanted to film this in 3D originally, and I'm like, no, that seems kind of pointless. Nothing needs 3D. I don't know, man. There are a couple of films that look good in 3D, uh, Avatar being one of them. <sighs> I hate that I have to agree with you on that. I do agree, but I fucking hate that I did. Uh, Tron Legacy as well. That was a I haven't seen it. 3D. But yeah, I don't. I don't understand what the benefit would have been of making this a 3D. But it was at that time, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was in a it, 3D period. It was in that like everything's a 3D. Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah, bruh. 3D. 3D. I'm glad we grew out of that. Yeah, it's slowly coming back. Like no. they, uh, the Marvels got released in 3D. Because I think, it? yeah, I think Greg was talking about seeing it in 3D. And there was another movie that I went to go and see recently and they were like oh yeah you can go and see it in 3d and i'm like i think i think they like avatar way of water was released in 3d yeah but they they did try to slowly make a comeback for no. 3d and i'm like 3d is good if it's done well and it's worth it for the film you're seeing like avatar is the perfect example i don't like avatar i think it's a waste mm. of my time uh, but it's a beautiful film, and I do feel like the 3D is very much worth it for that movie. Well, did you see this... Me- like, sorry to deviate for a second. Did you, did you see this fucking mental thing that Jake... Because obviously the reason why... We all know the reason why Avatar took so long was because James Cameron had the vision of, like... Obviously, he knew how he wanted the film to look, and then he, he had to wait for the technology. to catch up with him, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he's been working on the last... Like, obviously, there's, like, a 10-year... Or, like, however many years... Like, 13 years between the two Avatar movies. Mm. And um, he's been quietly working on, for the last few years, developing a way that human beings can watch 3D films without the 3D glasses. So he wants to develop a form of technology where you can just watch a film like as you would normally watch it, but still, wa- like, still watch it in 3D. Mm. And I'm like, that's fucking mad. Right, I swear we saw one of the Avengers movies in 3D. Um... Yes, I want to say it was either Ant Man or Civil War because I definitely saw Ant Man. I in think 3D. it was Civil War. I think it may have been Civil War, and I'm pretty sure we saw Star Wars. We saw Force Awakens in 3D because you had to put the little fucking clip on glasses. Yeah, because it was before I was wearing glasses, and I had those big yeah. chunky fucking Kylo Ren ones. I can never remember which Star Wars movie is what, but I know one of them we went to go see, and our friends had also gone to go see it in a different screen and yeah. all I got was I left the screen and I ran into my friend Nicole it was the second one and she was like mate Adam Driver with his shirt off yeah it was the last <laughs> Jedi because she was with that that Ed guy yeah oh Ed but yeah so yeah, I, I don't really like I don't really feel like horror movies benefit from being shot in 3D mm-hmm. anyway because there's nothing like if you're going to do a jump scare or like something that require like the only problem I have like the problem I have as well is when you watch them in 2D and they like when you watch my bloody the remake of my bloody Valentine and fucking Harry Warden's like swinging the fucking axe at the screen and I'm like I could really fucking do about this in 2D so yeah I don't really know how this movie and there's not enough in it to have like make it no. 3D like she doesn't there's zero reason it's not like she fucking comes launching at the screen or anything like that no she's a very she's a I will say one thing about Jeanette. She's fucking the laziest ghost I've ever seen in my fucking life. She's just, she doesn't do anything. She just, she just one sits thing there and I chills. find really interesting with the character is so obviously we learn really early on with the woman in black that she's basically haunting them because her sister, I want to say, or her brother took her son from her mm. and then her son died in the bog and they never got his body they just left him in there yeah it was like a hit and hit and drowned hit and drown well carriage and drown yeah horse hoof and drowned i don't really know um but that's why she's so my assumption was the first time i watched it and still this time i feel like it makes more sense this way is she targets the children of the people who live in the village because that is the descendants of the people who left her son yeah 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 to die Mm -hmm. and then never got his body back so I've never understood why the fuck Kip's son becomes one of her victims and Kip's himself. Unless he's related to someone that was like... But it's never addressed. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would make <coughs> sense if you found out, like, he was the great-grandson or the grandson or, or whatever of the couple who took her son off of yeah, her. Yeah, or it's just 
it's just like there, I think there's I think there's a couple of different ways of looking at it. Like it's either he's related to someone, it's the fact that he's like digging up her legend. So she's like, I don't want people to know. Like, thing what is, I'm doing. she's not. Re- he's not really. And or doing his job. Or he's like, she's like, he he reunited me with my son. I'm gonna reunite him with his wife. Yeah. And she can't be like, hey man, his wife's alive again. So she's like, she had to kill them. Because yeah, that fucking. But there was no like, guarantee so that Kips was gonna die. It was only because he threw himself off of the track to go try and save mm. his son. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird. I'm like that part just never makes any sense, and I'm like it still doesn't make. Didn't make sense. I was hoping this time I'd rewatch it and I'd go, oh, actually, yeah, no, that wait, that does make sense actually, but it doesn't. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, there's a touch of the Ellie Kedwoods about her as well, which I think is really like interesting, like her legend and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's a fucking weird film, man, because like it's part. It's, it's meant to be like a fucking period piece and mm-hmm. like the only thing the film gets right is the fact that it looks like a period film which i think is quite good the mystery surrounding like the woman in black and like why she's doing what she's doing i mean it reveals very early it's not yeah. like it's a huge mystery it's like not particularly interesting like they're like oh yeah her son died now she's like a ghost who's snatching up kids and i'm like all right great um she's basically the blair witch without the witchcraft awesome um so I, d- I didn't think that element of the story was that interesting. But yeah, like the ending makes absolutely fuck all sense. And like even the reshoot tag at the end where they're like, the test audience is like, it's too it's too sad for it to just end. Too dour. Like have his ghost wife turn up. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't make any fucking sense either. Because when was his wife supposed to have died? In childbirth. I was going to say, because the little kid's like, daddy, who's that woman? And it's like, it's your fucking mummy, little shit. Like... He's like, mummy, I never knew my mummy. And it's like, yeah, again, like, this kid ain't grieving for his mum. Like, so it serves no purpose. Even if she's like, oh, well, I lost my son, so I need to be reunited with him. Mm. Even if she's doing it as like, a, this is my ghost sister, she lost her son. Like, I'm a reunite. We've been in the afterlife chilling, talking about, like, losing our kids. She's like, giving her a little knuckle tap. And she's like, it's all right, I've got you, dog. I'll bring your son back to you. That doesn't make any fucking sense because the kid doesn't know his mum. So he's not, the kid's not going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get hit by a train and go and be reunited with my dead mum. Like, because he didn't know her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it just don't make any fucking sense. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just a dumb ending. Like, um, and then they tried to like franchise this shit because they released a sequel book in 2013, which wasn't written by her. It was written by some other fucking dude. And then the movie comes out in, like, 2016. Uh, the Woman in Black, Angel of Death. And they go more into her backstory about who she is and where she comes from. And it didn't perform very well. Um, but I'm like, it's mad that they released a book, like, 30-odd years after the original. And then, like, a year later, they went, oh, yeah, we're going to turn this into a film. And then they made it into a film. Um which is mad. It feels like they made a book just so that they could go, we're going to make a sequel. Ha ha, it's based on a book. It's not a cash in. And I'm like, kind of is. You just took the long route. Um, but yeah, I don't, I've not seen the sequel. I mean, to be fair, I only saw this movie for the first time like an hour ago when we mm. started, when we decided that we were going to watch it for the podcast. Um, I just didn't think, like, obviously, nobody, from an acting standpoint, nobody is at fault here. Like, it's mad, like, that we've revisited two of Daniel Radcliffe's, like, first post-Harry Potter films. in, And it's the first time I watched both of them. And he tends to be the best thing in both of them. Because, you know, he is a very... He is clearly a very good actor. And he's clearly trying with the material that he's got. He just doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. But I would be... I would be fascinated to, I uh, like, go back to people... I would like to be able to go back in time and like interview people as they were leaving the film, like after having watched this, and be like, "Why? Why did you find it so scary? Like, mm. what the fuck? Yeah, because like, I I don't think it is a particularly scary film. Like, Ghostwatch is scarier than this. Yeah, my man pipes chilling in his little glory hole. <laughs> See, yeah, the end. I'm still not quite over the end of this movie. I did a little bit of reading. 
obviously and the general consensus is that the reason arthur and joseph i want to say as a little boy uh reunited with stella at the end is because he saved he sacrificed himself to try and save his son mm. obviously i don't think the one in black was intending for him to die because if you see at the end all of the kids are like trapped with her yeah um but also it does raise the question of what does she actually want then? Because yeah. he reunites her with her son. Yeah. It's like a really... I, I feel like I should have read Susan Hill's book because I feel like maybe it would have made more sense. Mm. But also I really couldn't be asked to read a ghost story from the <coughs> 80s. Yeah, it feels like one of those things where it's like maybe the ending got muddled in translation a little bit. Maybe it could have done with a little bit more explanation. Um... Maybe it's just maybe it's also one of those endings that's like intended for shock value. It's like yeah, well, because obviously in the book you don't find out he gets reunited with his wife. Mm. Like they're just dead as far as you're aware. Like mm. that's it. I don't know if it's even clear at the end of the book whether they die or not. I think it's left very much to readers. Like yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. <clears throat> I don't know. Also, this movie's like an hour and 34 minutes long. And it feels like it's four hours. Like, it has super glacial pacing. Like, this movie is not in any kind of fucking hurry. Mm. Which, to be fair, like, I don't mind. I might, I don't mind deliberately paced films. Like, I love films like The Omen and The Exorcist and fucking Wicker Man and shit like that. But to me, it just felt like this was dragging. I don't know about you, man, but yeah. I was like... For me, it wasn't as bad. Like, I didn't really... It, I mean, I wasn't sat there going, oh, my God, this is taking forever. Just hurry up and get on with it. Totally the sex tape. <laughs> sure. Um, like, I, I didn't have that. I don't mind it. I think it's quite well paced. But also, I realised that me and you have wildly different... Tastes. Tastes and thoughts on how things should be paced. Also, for a Hammer Horror movie, not campy enough. <laughs> it's it's not campy at all. No, and I was I was a little bit disappointed. I thought it was going to be a bit more like, oh yeah, up, up, up the apples and pears, got a fucking ghost, have you, bruv? <laughs> like I thought it was going to be a little bit more like, fuck about with that ghost, did you, son? Why, go on. Fuck around, find out, bruv. <laughs> yeah, like I thought it was going to be a bit more like. Hey, like a little bit more le- like loosey goosey, but yeah, I am stunned to find out that like this was classed as like the scariest movie in like decades and stuff. And I'd love, do you know what? I I wasn't working in the cinema at the time when this came out. I was when the sequel came out. I'd love to have been working in the cinema when this came out because I would have just absolutely just fucked with people. Like I would have just fucking messed with people left, right, and centre. Oh yeah. I did, I did it all the time. Like When Annabelle came out and people were buying tickets, I used to tell people that we'd been hiding Annabelle dolls in like certain screens and people would just freak the fuck out. It was so that funny. That is so mean. It's so funny, though. That is so mean. And the cinema I used to work in is haunted anyway. So, as we've established. But... Allegedly. Mate, I've seen things in that cinema. Allegedly. What do you mean allegedly? I've seen things, bro. Allegedly. I've seen it. Um, say so. But yeah, what would what what is your final thoughts and your score on this film? Um, I don't mind this film. I think this film probably could be slightly quicker, maybe a little bit clearer, just some some a few bits up. Um, I think Daniel Radcliffe is very good in it. <coughs> but to be fair, I've always rated Daniel Radcliffe as an actor. I think he is a very good actor. I think he's very good at what he does. Mm. Um, it was a very interesting choice for him post HP. Um, but yeah, I don't mind it. I really don't. I, I, it's not a film I'm going to rant and rave about and say it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. But I don't mind it. Mm. Do you know this movie has the same rating uh, certificate as Killer Clowns on Space? Yeah. Um, overrated. I'll probably give. I'll give it a three. Yeah. It's not a great film. It's not a terrible film. I quite enjoy it. Would I go out of my way to watch it most days? No. But it's a nice autumn winter movie. Mm. It's getting dark. It's getting chilly. Wrap yourself up. Make get make a cup of tea. Put woman in black on. 
fair. I feel like this movie doesn't work as a film. I feel like the story of it probably works better as a novel, and I imagine it probably definitely works better as a stage play. Mm-hmm. And I'd be very interested to see what the stage version of it is like. But for me, I just think that, like, it was very incompetently directed. I did not find it to be at all scary, unnerving, atmospheric. I think the movie looks good. I think it nails the era that it's supposed to be in. Um, I think the acting's pretty good for the little amount that the actors get to do in it. Um, I find the ending to be quite confusing and... um, very pointless although i'd love to see how him and his son get taken out by train on stage i think that'd be hilarious um but yeah i just for me i think maybe it's because i've bowled into this movie with like a load of hype behind it because i've always heard how like terrifying it is and how scary it is and yeah i think that often doesn't help with films like this and even now like if you talk to people about this movie they're like oh yeah it's so scary and i'm like all right um but yeah I I was not bowled over by it, um, and I would probably give it a two just to be polite because I do think cinematography wise it looks good, and I do think that there's a one scene where he's got the the like toddler corpse and he's got all the antique toys is quite interesting, like that's yeah, quite a well shot scene. scene. Yeah, but again, just it just didn't do it for me. So yeah, I would give it a two out of five. It's not a movie that I'd be keen to watch again. So. Those are our thoughts on The Woman in Black. Uh, as always, thank you so much, guys, for your continued support. You know, we've covered a lot of interesting stuff this month. Uh, to recap, we did Horns, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, John Dies at the End, and The Woman in Black as our four main episodes. We also covered the Hulu adaptation of Clive Barker's Books of Blood. And we also did our 5x5 five five on our favourite kills slash death scenes. So it's been quite a, a loaded month. I completely uh, forgot we'd done that five by five. I'm not going to lie to you. We will be back on Monday from with our first episode for December, where we will be looking at the 2021 version of Mortal Kombat. Um, as always, guys, if you want to stay connected with us, uh, we are on Twitter on S I M A H F Pod. So I'm married a horror fan, all lowercase, all one word on Tumblr and Instagram. There is a link in our bio on all of our social media to all of the platforms you can listen to us on. Um, as always, we are kind of being swallowed up by algorithms at the moment on social media. So if there is anywhere that you want to listen to us, make sure you've got your notifications on so you never miss an episode. Uh, and as always, stay spooky, stay safe. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.